be in Romans 15 this morning, so if you will, turn over there or tap over there or however you're getting over there. Uh, Romans 15, when we get going, it'll be in Romans 15 verse 8. Um, today is the first week of Advent. Susie already did a little defining of things for you pretty, pretty well. I was going to do that, but, but that's all right if you just want to jump the gun on this stuff, right? The word Advent, it's a Latin word, Adventus, uh, which means the arrival or the coming. And as Susie pointed out, it's the arrival or, or coming of someone very significant. A significant event is the way it's used in general usage, right? The advent of electricity, the advent of the internet, uh, the advent of ramen noodles, that sort of important thing, um, usually much more important than the last one. Uh, for the church, though, it's a very specific term, and it refers to the coming of the Messiah, the coming uh, of Jesus Christ, his birth. And we celebrate the Advent season, and as we do so this year, my hope is that we are going to begin to um, have a better understanding of the significance of, of Jesus' coming into the world to save his people, just to take our focus from so many other places and, and bring it back to our Savior where we need it to be. Uh, and so today our focus is going to be on the hope that we have in Christ, hope that is not dependent upon the Dow Jones or vaccines or elections or uh, any of the other things that we worry about, that we tend to think, if this, if this, then, then there's reason to hope. Uh, so let's, uh, let's begin by reading the passage, Romans 15, beginning in verse 8. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it, as it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, and him will be the Gentiles' hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let us pray. Father, set our hearts towards you in a season that is traditionally so full of busyness and this year so filled with uncertainty, it would be so easy to lose sight of the hope that we have in you. And so Lord, we ask that you would slow our minds, slow our, our pace of life, slow us down from all the things that are running through our minds, slow us down so that we might enjoy this, this season so that we might find joy in you. Lord, give us understanding as we look at your word this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How many of you are old enough to remember when the movie E.T. came out? Not on VHS, actually came out. So that, that dates a few of you. I was about five years old when that movie came out. It was one of the first movies. It is the first movie that I have any memory of going to the theater and watching. Probably wasn't the first one. You, you waste all that money on little bitty kids. They have no memory. Um, and I absolutely loved the movie. I, I even started eating Reese's Pieces after that movie because of it. It was one of the best marketing things ever, I suppose, for that reason. Um, I wanted to meet E.T. after that movie, in fact, 
Uh, every time at home there'd be some noise outside, my five-year-old mind or imagination would kind of kick in and think, oh, maybe it's E.T. because, uh, I don't know, like maybe it is. And it's just something you think when you're still five years old. Uh, I'll never forget, though, a few years after that, my parents took my brothers and I to Lowe's Theater. I don't know if they had those up here, but Lowe's Theater. And we, the three of us got to pick a movie and go to it. And they were going to go watch, I don't know, maybe Top Gun or something like that. Um, the best part uh, was this, that we got to pick whatever movie it was. We just had to agree on it. I wanted to see Short Circuit, classic, fun, wonderful movie. Uh, but my brothers wanted to see another movie, and they started telling me that E.T. Part 2 is out. In fact, it's called E.T. The Quest, and there it was. I could see the poster, The Quest. Uh, and so the three of us agreed on that movie. We go in, we sit down, right? I've got my box of Reese's Pieces. We're watching E.T. Part 2. Um, and it didn't take long for Elliot to show up on the screen. There he is. Uh, he was even riding his bike down this train track in Australia for some reason. And, and I just couldn't wait for E.T. to show up on the, on the screen, only it never happened, right? Halfway through, I even asked my brother, so when's E.T. showing up? And like older brothers do, he just lied to me. Any minute, just wait, he'll be there. Uh, well, the movie ended. E.T. never shows up, and, and you probably have figured out why. Uh, I was am the youngest in my family, and so I certainly didn't know this, but uh, E.T. never, ever had a sequel. It never happened. Uh, to this day, it's one of the highest grossing, it was the highest grossing movie of the 80s, and, and it never had a sequel. Uh, my brothers wanted to see this scary movie, and they knew they couldn't convince me to go to it, uh, but it happened to have the same actor that played Elliot from E.T. in it. Uh, that's how it went. And so I, I am, to this day, the only person who's ever sat down in a theater ready to watch E.T. Part 2 and really thought it was going to come on. Now, I, I tell you this because I, I sat in that theater and I hoped, right? I, I hoped for E.T. to show up on the screen. I, I, I hoped, based on the words of my brothers, that, that E.T. was going to show up on the screen. And it never happened. And it was so disappointing, to say the least. I mention this further because I, I fear we often... Think of the hope of the gospel. We use that word, right? The hope of the gospel. And we often think of it in the same way, like maybe it will, maybe it won't. There's this fear that can, can seep in that makes you think maybe, maybe it's not real. Maybe Jesus isn't really going to show up. From our place in history, we are looking back to the first advent, right? The birth of Christ and his life and his death and his, and his resurrection and his ascension. We're looking backwards, but we're also looking forward to the second coming of Christ. And that's the part where we can begin to lose some hope. Now, as we celebrate Advent this year, I, I want the fulfillment of the ancient promise that God would send a Savior to strengthen your hope in current and future promises of the Lord. The promise that Jesus has redeemed you uh, and will return again for you. This is the hope that we have, that, that Jesus died for the sins of his people and we're made his people when we are given faith to believe the gospel, to believe in Christ. That's the message of 1 Peter uh, 1.3, which says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have been given hope in the gospel. And still, there are times when we need to be renewed in that hope. Not because anything's changed about the hope, but because our own hearts begin to wander away, and we just need to be renewed in that, to be strengthened in that. Um, and so let us start here. When, when we think of the word hope, most of us understand it in the modern sense of the word. 
It's something that might happen and something that might not happen, but I really hope it does happen. We, we might say, I, I hope the pandemic is over by spring or next fall or whatever date you might want uh, to think of that. And it, and it might be over by then. It also might not be over by then. But we don't really know. And, and most of us really don't expect it. And we use that word hope as if probably not going to happen. The word hope hasn't always had that, that sense of uncertainty. In fact, if you look it up in a, a dictionary, even today, you'll see that there's two definitions. There's the one we understand with the uncertainty of it. Uh, and then there's another one that's marked archaic, right? Uh, you know what archaic means? Really, really, really old. Like really old, even older than Bill. Really old. Sorry, Bill. Anyway, the archaic, no, I'm not. I'm really not. The, the archaic definition uh, of the word, when you get there, it's defined as to have confidence in, to trust. It's so different than the way we use it. You, you hear that, though? When today we use the word hope, we often mean, I, I wish something would happen, but I, I just have no idea if it will. Right? People say, I, I hope or I wish the Chiefs will win the Super Bowl. That, that's, that's not the way that our Bibles use the word hope. The scripture uses the word hope, uh, and it means this. It means I am, I am confident, I am certain that, you know, I am certain that Jesus will come again. I can trust he will. It is absolute. Psalm 119, verse 81, we read, My soul longs for your salvation. And then it says, I hope in your word. I hope in your word. It, it doesn't mean I wish in your word. It means I am confident in putting all my trust because I can be confident in your word. Now let's look back at Romans 15 as it, as it leads up to this great statement on hope. Uh, the Apostle Paul is writing here and he's making this point about the gospel uh, coming not only to Israel but, but also to all nationality, all people groups. And, and I'm going to reread, reread verses 8 and 9 here. And, and as I do, I just want you to consider this question as you listen to this. Why was Christ made a servant, right? Because it answers that. Verse 8. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. And so Christ became a servant to the circumcised. Circumcised, in this sense, it just means the Jewish people. It's a, a way of referring to them. I could explain the whole thing. I won't right now. Um, what I love about the detail that we see in this idea here, though, is just even seeing Jesus labeled as a servant here is that it tells us something about our king. It tells you something about our Lord, our, our Savior. This shows us that, that the kingdom that Jesus brings is, is both unexpected and unexpectedly comes without force. We see this all the time in the scriptures, right? We, we see this all the time in, our, in the world today even, right? We see kingdoms and governments that are constantly being torn down and a new one is replaced or built in its place. How many of you remember Czechoslovakia? Any of you? Very few of you. It's now Czech and Slovakia and a little bit of Ukraine. Not the Ukraine, Ukraine. Um, what we see here with, with Jesus is so different than the tearing down and building up in that sense. We, we see here that Jesus comes as a servant. He, he comes after the hearts of his people to transform our hearts. That, that's the kingdom that Jesus is bringing now. We'll, we'll see fully realized later, but that's the kingdom that Jesus is bringing now. And I want you to see something else. Well, what's the reason that, Jesus, that Christ becomes a servant? Uh, right there in verse 9, you got it in front of you. We see it. It's, it is to show God's truthfulness. 
And then our text says the same thing another way. It says to confirm the promises given. Right? All these promises that a Messiah is coming, and when Jesus comes, he, he proves that. In verses 10 through 12, we, we look at those promises. Uh, right now, though, I want you to see the ultimate purpose of, of Christ becoming a servant. Look at verse 9. It, it says that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Gentiles. You know what that means? Unless you happen to be of Jewish descent, that's you. You're a Gentile. I'm a Gentile. Most of us are Gentiles. Um, And did you catch the significance of that for us? Jesus became a servant to the Jews so that you, a Gentile, might glorify God for his mercy. Which raises the question, do, do we do that? Do we glorify God for his mercy? I believe we do. Maybe, maybe not as well as we wish we could. Maybe not as well as we ought to. And certainly my hope, and, and I mean that in the archaic sense, is that as we look at this passage today, we will grow to glorify God for his mercy more and more and more. And one way that we glorify God for his mercy is through singing worship to him. We even see that in the text there, if you look before you, we, we sing to God how thankful we are for his giving us faith, for saving us from our sin, for his mercy towards us in so many different ways. And some people don't like singing. You, you might even hear be one of those people. I, I was actually taken aback one time when I learned about, uh, it was in Florida, there were churches being started. And, and the whole theme of the church was, this is churches for men, and they just did away with singing because somewhere in their research they were told that most men hate to sing. And some of you might be thinking, yeah, that's me, I hate to sing. Uh, listen, wh- whether you love to sing or have a distaste for singing, it's not really the point of our singing together in worship. It's really not about your preferences. The, the, the point is that we are, when we are singing in worship to God, right, this, this is a communal language of praise to our Lord. There, there, there is this reaction that takes place when we see really see Jesus for who he is, when we know who he is, uh, and and all that he's done for us, and all that he is for us, and and that's that there's these feelings that we have in response for the mercy of God towards us, and this truth that we want to actually proclaim forward, and when our eyes are open to see God's mercy, it's it's a lot like when you drop Mentos into Diet Coke, right? There's no holding it back at that point. It's going to come out. It cannot be contained, and out comes praise. That's the response to our knowing God, our response to our understanding the mercy that we receive in the gospel. And so when our eyes are opened, when our ears can not only hear but believe the word of God, when our hearts can trust in God, then there is, there is worship. And when there is worship, there is hope. Romans 15 speaks also to the, to the reason of the incarnation. Jesus comes as a man to show the truthfulness of God the Father, to show us that 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 God keeps his promises. That God keeps his promises, in fact, is foundational to our hope. If that weren't true, your hope goes out the window. Um, what about these, I mean, what promises is he talking about? List, Paul lists them off there in verses 9 through 12. Uh, all are quoted from the Old Testament. Uh, together they, they represent each section of the Old Testament, the law, the wisdom, the prophets. And, and so you see the whole smorgasbord of, of the Old Testament. And, and let's read it again, that, that, that part. And, and then I want you to consider each section. First, uh, starting in verse 9. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. 
And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will be the Gentiles' hope. And these four things are all quoted. The first one is, uh, uh, verse 9 is quoted from Psalm 1849. And here the psalmist is, is writing about praising God with the Gentiles, which is a strange thing sometimes uh, for the Jews to think about. Uh, but that's us, right? Admittedly, that verse is a little vague as to whether it's saying he's going to be praising God and the Gentiles are just standing there watching or whether they're going to be actually praising God alongside him. Uh, but rest assured, the next quote, right, verse 10 here is less vague. It's from Deuteronomy 32:43, and it's clear that the Gentiles are rejoicing with the people of God, with, with the Jews. And the third quote, verse 11 here, is from Psalm 117.1. That psalm is only two verses long, by the way. If you ever wanted to memorize a psalm, that's a good one to start with. Uh, the first verse, as we read here, is, is what we are quoted here. Encourage this, the Gentiles to praise the Lord. That's the encouragement. The other verse of, of that psalm uh, gives the reason for our praise. We are to praise God in response to his steadfast love for us. That's why. And then the final Old Testament quote here is from Isaiah 11.10. In our text, it says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. Do you know what he's talking about? The root of Jesse is a reference to our Lord. If you remember, Jesse is the father of King David, and the promise was that one of David's descendants, and thus also one of Jesse's descendants, would redeem the people of God. Jesus is the descendant of Jesse. Jesus is the root that it's speaking of here. So what does this tell us that Jesus is going to do? It says he's going to rule the Gentiles, and this is a good thing. We want a, a ruler like Jesus. We want a king who is good and merciful and holy and righteous. As much as we complain about the men and the women in political offices today, we, we should have real hope that the king who really rules us is indeed Jesus Christ. Jesus is our hope. And, and we ought not take that for granted. Verse 13 is a benediction of sorts. In fact, we use it as a benediction sometimes. Uh, let me set it up for you by, by actually reading Ephesians 2.12, which reminds us that uh, we as Gentiles were not always included in the people of God. In the plans, yes, but in the people of God, no. Uh, Ephesians 2.12 reads, Remember that you were at the time separated from Christ. He's looking backwards, right? Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having, listen to this, no hope and without God in the world. We were without hope. The way that we receive hope is the advent. It's the coming of Christ. We, we need the coming of Christ to redeem us, to bring us into his house, house, to bring us into his family, to bring us into the covenant. And so it's a huge thing when we read here in, in Romans 15, 13. You say, hopefully you have it before you still. Look at it. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Do you see what God desires for us? His desire is that, that you will abound in hope. That, that word abound, it, it means to have something in large quantities, massive amounts of it. In fact, you and I, we, we abound in money. I know we don't think we do, but no matter how poor we think we are compared to most people on the planet today, we abound in money. 
Unfortunately, most of us also abound in anxiety. Most of us abound in stress. We abound in clothing and shoes. We abound in entertainment. We abound in information. But, but let me ask you something this morning. Christian, do you abound in hope? Actively. Truly. Not somewhere in the back of your mind if you really get down to it, but, but do you possess just boatloads of hope? Are you, are you swimming in, in hope? Do you abound in hope? Does your life and attitude display huge quantities of trust in our Lord Jesus Christ in the certainties of all that, that he is for us? Do you rest today in what Christ has done for you? And are you expectant Sure, with absolute surety of what God will do for you. This Advent, my, my desire is, to have, is for us to have abounding hope. I, I want that for you. I want that for me. I want that for all of us. To, to gain such great trust in our Savior. Now, there are many ways that we could encourage our hope so that we might have it in abundance, or, or rather that we might see that we have good reasons for having it in abundance, that it's all truly there. But I, I'm just going to give you five ways this morning to try to bring this into a point of application, five points of application, that we might have hearts that are abounding in hope. And the first one is this, take stock of your life. Stock's a a word that refers to what is already on the premises, right? If you want to know what what a, whether a store has it in stock, you want to know, do they, do they have it there? Not do they mail it into you or something like that. And so when I say take stock of your life, I mean stop and look at what God has already done in your life. We talked a bit about that last week, and I appreciate all those. Uh, a few of you sent me your list, actually, that made out a, uh, a hundred list of things you're thankful for. It was wonderful and encouraging to read those. Um, but when we're thinking about this, I mean, to just stop and, and write, look at what God has already done in your life, you know, Christian, think of the blessings of Christ in your life, relational blessings of, of family, of church, of friends, etc., material blessings such as even having transportation, a, a warm place to sleep at night, food to eat, and a tongue to actually enjoy that food. Uh, the more important blessings of faith, such as the, faith, the, the gift of faith itself, the, the gift of the Holy Spirit who dwells within you, the forgiveness of sins and the surety of our salvation. Because no matter what happens around us, the forgiveness of our sin gives us reason for hope. Truly. The second way to encourage you or us in abounding, um, our abounding in hope is to preach the word to yourself. Do you know what I mean by that? That you... Take what you read in the scriptures and, and you proclaim that to yourself, to your own heart. Also to your friends and family, right? That, that's exactly what we're told to do in Romans 15.4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance, and hear this, through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And that means reading the scriptures. That means spending time in that. That means proclaiming to your discouraged self how the truth of the scriptures apply to your life right now. And that might mean we consider what what kills our joy and then we fight back against that with the word of God and all that we know from it. This means that we've got to make time for reading our Bibles. And I've said this before, I'll I'll say it again, but as your pastor... um, if there's just one thing that I could add to your life, and I don't mean this as some sort of silver bullet, it won't fix everything, right, immediately, but if there's one, like, practice I could have us all in, it was that we, we daily spend time in the Word, that that's, that's where we are, we are being refreshed by. 
More, more than anything else, it would be that. That'd be the one thing. If I could just write a, a check and it just becomes reality, it, it would be that we spend time in the Word. Because if you, if you want hope and abundance, we must soak in the Word of God. To feed our soul daily with the Word of God, which will help us remember all of life is really all about Christ. The third way to encourage our hearts towards abundant faith is to remember God's promises kept in the past. The Old Testament saints waited, and, and it seemed like God would never send a Redeemer, right? Years go by. Generations go by, and they're waiting for the Redeemer. And you can imagine the moments of discouragement that may come. And, and then according to God's good timing, He sends the Messiah. He sends Christ, and He fulfills all that. Uh, the, rest in the truth that God is a promise keeper. What he has said in his word to us will prove true. God has proven himself in the past. And as my friend George Dinas often says, God's faithfulness to, a, to you in the past is both a model and a promise of his faithfulness to you in the future. Listen, Jesus will return for his people. Have a certain hope in that. We can hope with real expectation of that day. And so we rejoice at the first advent looking backwards. Uh, and now we wait with hope for the second advent as well. The fourth thing is that we remember that no one is ever beyond redemption. God can soften even the hardest of hearts. God can make white even the darkest of stains. Um, a while back, I was, I was reading a novel, and one of the characters made this statement that was rather profound, at least if you read it within the context of a Christian worldview. Uh, one character was speaking about a girl who viewed herself as permanently broken. There's nothing that could be done to fix her. And the character regarding her says that, another character regarding her says this, we need never be hopeless because we can never be irreparably broken. You see, that's why the gospel is an endless fountain of hope for the people of God and really anyone, right? Because you might come from some messed up family. You might have made numerous bad choices in rebellion against God. You, you might struggle in, in a battle against some difficult sin today, but remember, we, we don't come to Christ perfect, not even good. Rather, he comes to us and he finds us sinful and broken and he begins to work, uh, the work of redeeming us, repairing us in a sense. So sanctification is that process as we are transformed and healed. And when Christ returns, we will be made perfect. Not before, but then. In the eyes of God, we are already counted perfect and righteous, right? Justification, not because we are, but but because Jesus is and his righteousness is counted to us. But remember, so long as God has given you breath, it is never too late to find rest and hope in the gospel. This is also true for people that you pray for. I know over this season, we tend to see a lot of relatives that we don't see otherwise. I don't know if this year is going to have that, if you're going to be looking at a screen or what's it going to be, but there are people that you long to see come to, come to faith in Christ. And, and, and as you interact with them, no, it's... It's possible the Lord will redeem them. Don't, don't give hope for that. Don't give up hope for that. Uh, the last way to help encourage our hope is, is this. Set your gaze on Christ. Let me remind you that the hope we have in the gospel, again, is a sure thing. It's also a real thing. We, we live in a secular culture, and it is so easy to adopt a secular worldview, to view the birth of Christ as some old story and, and forget that what we're talking about is actual history. 
All of it is actual history. And so let us be active and intentional to set our gaze on Christ. There, there is hope because Jesus really has come. There is hope because Jesus really gives us power through the Holy Spirit. Jesus really does save us from our sins. Jesus really will return and really will raise us from the dead. And so not only is there hope for our future, but there is hope for today as well. Maybe you've experienced uh, what we sing in that hymn, Come Thou Found. We're not singing it today. Uh, But that hymn, when it says, "Our, Our hearts are prone to wander, prone to leave our God above. Too often we, we take our eyes off Jesus and we put them on ourselves. Or we take them off Jesus and we put them on our problems. Or we put them on politicians. Or we put them on our desires, our dreams, whatever it is we, we want to obtain in life. All those things will fail you. Even when you succeed in some of those areas, you, you will find they do not actually deliver what you hope they would. For, for hope to sustain us, we must keep our eyes on our Lord, on Jesus. Church, as we embark on this Advent season, let us keep our focus on Jesus. Let us, let us encourage each other to keep our focus on Jesus. That we might abound in hope, right? We want to be people that are so distinctly different from the world that we are full of hope that is found solid in Jesus, even if the world seems to be falling apart around us. Let's be those people that knows the hope we have in Christ and lives that way. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for the hope that we have in our Savior, in archaic and abounding hope that is confident, that trusts in your promises, fulfilled in Jesus and still to be fulfilled when he returns again. Give us hope that directs our lives. Make us amazed at you because of the truth that our sins are forgiven in Christ. May we, your people, Lord, abound in hope and speak of it openly this Advent season. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.